1: Welcome back as yes, we head into hour two six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero six zero two fifty eighty nine sixty. Young David, uh, my producer, stands ready to take your call. I saw you were munching, munching. You were munching on on a on a on a white chocolate bar earlier, David.
2: Yes, it was given to me by another operator here.
1: Yeah, well, fine. Up to a point, the four, four most important words in a democracy. Up to a point, <laughs> I like white chocolate myself. I think it's actually, in some respects, the better chocolate. But better I looked at than. the bar. I looked at the bar, and it said with coconut. Yes. What kind of person buys white chocolate with coconut? Just because you have two good things and put them together, we've been through this before. It doesn't make it one big better. There thing. was a
2: little Swiss flag on the on the chocolate bar. Well, Perhaps they don't have coconuts in
1: Switzerland. <laughs>
2: That's a good one. I'm going to clip that one. They but, don't. Uh,
1: and they shouldn't uh, be putting them in our chocolate bars.
2: But you know, it does raise an interesting point because Toblerone The chocolate has bar coconut, with coconut, it, what is it? that?
1: Is it is it uh is it Mounds or something? One of them Yes,
2: like... all Mounds and Almond Joy, but but no, the Swiss chocolate Toblerone, does not that? Have coconut in it? No.
1: It better not. I thought it did. Well, then we're not having it around here. I love Toblerone. Can it just be a plain white chocolate bar? You don't have to add these things to it. It doesn't I make it better. Didn't... Buy it, sir. I know. I know. Um, but, you know I, I got it given to me. Well, tell the guy who gave but it no, to you. No, you
2: raise an interesting conundrum. Yes. With me. Why do you think that white chocolate is better than, say, milk or dark chocolate? I think
1: it tastes better.
2: White chocolate is the fake of the three. The fakest of the three. Is that
1: true? I don't know that to oh, be true. Oh, white chocolate
2: is completely made up. There are no white cacao cacao beans. Are there not? No, white is uh, confectioner sugar.
1: Even in Switzerland.
2: Even in Switzerland. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Dark chocolate is the most. Natural. It yeah, it's the most natural. No yeah, chocolate mixes the cacao bean with a lot of other additives. White chocolate's all fake.
1: It's one of the few borrow words from a defunct language. Chocolate. E- chocolate. It comes from the word uh, from the from the Nahuatl language, which is which is uh, a part of an uh, of a I don't know indigenous tribe in Central America. Nahuatl. It's all a defunct- I gotta
2: say to that is I've seen how you make chocolate, and whoever figured out how to make that i am very impressed
1: how is that more interesting than nawaddle being a defunct language that only three people in america speak one of them being my sister
2: oh really yes i didn't know that yeah Yeah.
1: no but we learned that you like chocolate
2: no but i'm just very impressed that then figured it out okay they must have been very bored (laughs) okay
1: (laughs) all right uh this is important um I said I would raise this with the audience, actually, and uh, and and so I I, I shall. Um, this is an op-ed someone told me to read <coughs> carefully by Carl Carl Rove, Rove, who is someone I usually don't read carefully or otherwise, but every once in a while, you know, someone will produce something interesting, and this is. <coughs> he writes, "America is often." a nation divided. U.S. politics today is ugly and broken, true enough. But the good news is that it was worse in the past, and it will get better again. Do you agree with that thesis? He writes, um, America deeply divided, politics broken, marked by anger, contempt, distrust. But let's not lose historical perspective. It's bad now, but it's been worse before, and not only during the Civil War. Look back and start with the mid-60s and 70s. The nation was divided over civil rights, the sexual revolution, and an increasingly unpopular war in Southeast Asia. The civil rights protests of the 50s and 60s were often met with state-sanctioned violence. Then Harlem exploded in 64, followed by a riot in Philadelphia. Watts went up in flames in 65. Chicago, Cleveland, and San Francisco the next year, a total of 163 cities From Atlanta to Boston, Detroit, Newark, New York, Portland suffered widespread violence in the summer of 67. On April 4th of 68, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Riots broke out in more than 130 American cities, with 47 killed. Two months later, Robert Kennedy was assassinated in Los Angeles. That same year, the nation's most prominent segregationist, George Wallace, running for president, won five states, came in. 3rd in 1972 for the Democratic nomination. Um, 1965, the country was rocked by demonstrators over the Vietnam War, many of them student-led. In some instances, governors sent in the National Guard after guardsmen killed four students in 1970 at Ohio's Kent State. Protests broke out at 350 campuses. It's worth looking at... um, An estimated 10,000 people tried shutting down the Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Four years later, thousands tried the same at the GOP convention in Miami Beach. There were 2,500 domestic bombings between 1971 and 1972. Did you know that? You think about that rendering of history. It's fascinating. Of course, I think I knew almost all of that in isolation of each of those things. I, I never really kind of thought of it as all one era of the last five years, really, of the 1960s. And you think about, and members of this audience who would have lived through that, I'd love to know if you thought it was more questionable whether we'd get out of it then than it is now. I've had some calls in the last hour on, on you know, what stage our rot is in in this country. Hopefully not stage four, hopefully not stage three. But you think about some of that, and you think about people I've talked to who were alive and witnessed and lived through all that, and they said, we really did wonder if the country could go on. Could you imagine John F. Kennedy is assassinated in 63, five years later Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy? Five years is not—we think of 63 to 68 being quite distant, but you think about five years, it's not distant— you and I remember five years ago, easily it was the latter part of the Trump administration. It's like yesterday to some of us, most of us probably. You think about Kent State. can you imagine if National Guardsmen killed four college students today on a college campus? I mean, that story it might have you know it might have ran a week. There's of course, the famous song about it from uh Neil Young, right? I think it was Neil Young, Four Dead in Ohio. I think that was Neil Young. And and that, but it part of it, too, would be social media today, which I think amplifies and is a continuous repeater of every story. So these stories, as they want them, last, I suppose, if they want them to last. So they may have more reach and duration. Perhaps they do, the stories of the things we go through now um, than then. But as a friend of mine also says, you know, we're wondering if we will be able to go on. And I often think about America's capacity for self-renewal. We have a tremendous or have had a tremendous capacity for self-renewal in this country, uh, whether, you know, you think about what it must have been like in 1941, December of 41, or what it was like on in September of... 2001, um, you think about the debates we were having before 9-11 happened and how 9-11 seemingly changed everything, and then it didn't. That change didn't last very long. But part of that is our capacity for self-renewal, and part of it isn't, because you think about what college kids argue about now. You think about what college professors teach now. And you have to wonder, as a friend of mine puts it, are we a different country? Are we made of different stuff now? That's the concern. I think that's the underlying concern in response to this Rove thesis. I'd I'd, I'd be curious to know people who lived through the 60s and 70s um, and saw all this kind of stuff going on, these bombings, these domestic bombings, the shooting of four college students at Kent State, the civil riots uh, they weren't civil. They were violent riots throughout the country, the three f- three major assassinations within five years of each other of huge figures in America, in America, in Americana and in America, figures that would have been historical even if they were never cut down by an assassin. Um, I, I think the difference is that we're made of different stuff now, and you look at what young adults— um care about and how strong their fibers their fiber is their center you look at adults uh particularly with the mental health crisis that um that is so widespread about whether adults are made of different stuff now you think about the kind of talk you got from a i don't know who were some of the uh i don't know think of think of Hubert Humphrey he was the vice president then right Think of the way he talked and the kinds of things he talked about versus the way Kamala Harris talks and the kinds of things she talks about and the way she talks about them. It's a different country, and so I do worry about whether that typical and reliable ability, capability— American capability for self-renewal still exists. I'd love to hear your takes on this, folks. 602 50 We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's a privilege to welcome to the show State Senator J.D. Mesnard. He's really one of the great bright lights at our State Senate, chairman of the Commerce Committee, member of several other important committees, former Speaker of the House of the Arizona House of Representatives. Uh, JD, if I might, uh, thanks for joining us today, this afternoon.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: JD, as a, uh, a college teacher, among other things, I just learned this about you. I did not know this. I didn't know that you had, you have several degrees. I didn't know one of them was in music composition. What kind of music did you write, JD?
3: So my original life plan was to write music for film and television. Uh-huh. Um, obviously it went a different direction in life, but I <laughs> like to write what I characterize as sort of epic scores, epic music. No kidding. Uh, For lots of different instruments um, back in my undergrad days. Oh,
1: how fun. ASU had a great music department. I don't know if it still does. It might very well. But I remember when I was growing up, it was a great destination for musicians. uh, Absolutely. Instrumentality particularly, yeah. Well, thanks for being with us, J.D. Um, Tell the audience just a little bit about yourself before we get to the story that I only recently just learned about with regard to your dad, a... um, a fighter pilot for the Air Force or a retired fighter pilot for the Air Force. Tell the audience just a little bit about yourself, how you grew up, and how you came to be doing what you're doing.
3: Uh, Sure. Well, I did grow up. uh, Dad was in the Air Force. I went to the Air Force Academy before uh, transitioning to a commercial airline. So I lived all over the world in my younger years um, overseas for a time. Eventually, though, wound up in Arizona. Uh, my mother and stepfather moved here because uh, looking for a job back in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen explosive growth, of course, since then. Uh, so grew up here, went to high school, college, um, and then... I decided to throw my hat in the ring to run for office, uh, and uh, now it's where I serve in the Arizona State Senate.
1: And you do so uh, very well, sir. As I say, a few people I respect in the State Senate as much as you. Um, So your dad is a retired fighter pilot, but I just learned about this. Tell the audience what happened on August 1st. Just a heartbreaking, heartbreaking story.
3: Yeah, a little difficult to talk about, but the short version is that uh, he was flying a plane. He and a, a friend of his of 60 years, actually, a 60-year friend, were flying back uh, from a um, an event, an aviator event in Wisconsin called Oshkosh, uh, and they had stopped to refuel in Georgia, and right after takeoff a few hundred feet up, the right engine quit working, um, and which causes the plane to nearly flip over. My dad, being a fighter pilot, he flew the F-4 back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, fought to regain control of the aircraft. Um, they were above a forest, essentially, and descending quickly. was trying to get back to the runway they had just taken off from, but it was clear they weren't going to make it. So he identified a, a marshy area clearing in the trees, and he figured if they're going to, Make impact somewhere that might give them the best shot to survive. Softest
1: kind of landing um, you could have, right? Yeah.
3: Oh yeah, right, exactly. Just to kind of he he characterizes, skip it across this former pond, kind mm-hmm. of marsh area, mm-hmm. um, and so it more or less worked uh, in the fact that they survived the impact. There was no explosion, despite a, a full fuel tank, um, but unfortunately, it did tear the air- aircraft apart and ejected them, and they sustained uh, critical injuries, uh, airlifted to two different uh, hospitals, and unfortunately, my dad's friend, Tim, uh, passed away a couple days later from his injuries, and my dad was left with a what's called a complete spinal cord injury. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, the lower half is now paralyzed. Yeah.
1: This is this is this is a hell of a story. Uh, so first of all, uh, our best thoughts and prayers, as best we can give and convey them to your family and your dad, JD. The FAA is conducting an investigation, which is crucially important. Um, but your dad is going to have to be responsible financially for the moving of the um, aircraft for the inspection. If I have this story yeah. right, and it's going to cost yeah. a lot of money. It's going to cost. Uh, something like $23,000 plus more, really, for storage yeah, in the yeah. hangar, right, and all that. Yeah. So, yeah. um Yeah,
3: unfortunately, that's uh, the uh, F, So the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, which is connected to the FAA, does the investigation. They sent a private company out to this sort of remote, murky area. I mean, it was so murky that rescuers getting to them had to go through, like, waist-deep mud. Yeah. Um, so very difficult to get to, and said, "Look, we just we can't get to the aircraft." And the insurance company, uh, with the for the plane, said, "That's not on us." And so, long story short, if we're going to have a full investigation, it's on us to come up with uh, with the money. The discounted rate they said was twenty three thousand to essentially airlift it out of the muck and yeah. over to a hangar.
1: Well, there's a GoFundMe page, blessedly, to help out on this to get to that twenty three thousand dollar. Goal. Many in the community are stepping up. I'll ask our audience, very generous audience, uh, if they can step up as well. Best way to do this: what? Uh, go to GoFundMe and, and, and search for crashed plane, or what, what? What do you? How do you tell people? JD? Yeah,
3: or, yeah, that would be uh, one way. If you go to GoFundMe and, and search for my name, frankly, JD Mesnard. Or crashed plane uh, or both, uh-huh. uh, or alternatively on my Twitter page, I okay. did tweet it out this morning okay, with good. a direct link, so if you get uh, at j d mesnard, or I guess it's x now, not twitter, but the that page uh, is easily accessible there as well.
1: good, um how's your dad is he is he uh awake and that sort of thing is he
3: he he is yeah they he moved him out of icu and eventually out of the hospital and now over to a rehab facility in atlanta georgia where he'll he'll be for several weeks or months you know trying to learn you know it's a new life for him and uh we're grateful for that life but it's 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 still devastating and so we'll be figuring out what uh what that life looks like in the coming months
1: Sure sure of course Well again folks uh JD Mesnard by the way uh spell his last name for you M E S N A R D Don't take offense by that JD please uh, when your name is Leapson, no. you end up getting used to having to spell <laughs> spell <laughs> yeah, everyone's no, name not at all. Yeah okay Um but yes uh you can see the story too at the GoFundMe page uh, very obviously uh moving uh, story, um, sad crashed plane extraction help at the GoFundMe.com website, or as I said, and has JD Senator Mesnard said, you can just follow him, uh, and get the story or read it, uh, read up on it at uh, Twitter. He's at JD Mesnard. No, um, no, no periods. JD Mesnard on Twitter or what we call X. Keep us posted, JD. Uh, you have a uh, you have a friendly audience here anytime you want on, uh, and we'll have you back for some of the more political issues you're involved in. But I just had learned about this story and wanted to get the word out as soon as I possibly could, sir.
3: So grateful for that. So uh, well, really no, not at all.
1: We're grateful for your service. And of course, you know what we should also say, your dad's service to this country as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, hats off and best thoughts and prayers, sir. I wanted to work you in. Um, so thank you, and let's stay in touch. Yes, sir? Sounds great. Thank you so much. You betcha. Thank you, J.D. Godspeed uh, to you and your family. I'm Seth Leibson, 602 We'll be right back. Are global leaders developing solutions that promote freedom and quality of life, or are they creating problems and forcing solutions that only benefit the elite? Midas Gold Group believes it's the latter. From Draconian COVID shutdowns, the decimation of small businesses, and changed election laws. Midas Gold Group believes your finances will be next. Under the guise of protecting you, you'll get monetary expansion, national debt, and reduced purchasing power. And their central bank digital currency will virtually eliminate your savings and purchasing privacy. The answer, convert a portion of your savings or IRA to physical gold and silver. Precious metals are a private currency. They've been used to store wealth throughout history. Thousands of you have trusted the veterans at Midas Gold Group because they're fighting for your financial freedom and privacy. Give them a call today at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Or visit them online at MidasGoldGroup.com. All right. I had posed the question earlier um, of... um, the, the upheavals and the turmoil and the consternations and convulsions of the 1960s versus today. Uh, one op-ed writer, Carl Rove, says they were worse than. Uh, and I'm asking that question. Are, were they? And whether um, those who lived through it can express maybe to us what they were thinking back then compared to what they're thinking about the challenges now. Uh, Rick is in Goodyear. Hello, Rick. Hello. How are you?
4: I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah, I graduated from high school in 1966. Okay. And, um, uh, I remember very well a lot of the turmoil then and the race riots and so forth. But in, in our school, they taught civics. Yeah. And, and everybody was proud to be an American. Yeah. And, and, um, I think times today are much scarier because, you know there are so many people that that absolutely are trying to destroy this country, and you've got a, a willing accomplice in the media. Our election system is is apparently so corrupt. Uh, you can't you can't rely on it. You you can't have any confidence in any of the elections going on, and it's it's absolutely scary what's going on.
1: I wonder if back now, then you kind of had the sense that. Okay, given a liberal bent to be sure, but if at least that the media was kind of a little bit more on your side or at least America's side in some respects that you just don't get that well, sense I, of anymore I wonder I also wonder how prominent those know, stories I, were
4: well, I think the media then i mean there wasn't any question that it was uh, pretty obviously unbiased but but maybe it was nice. more biased than than a, than a than i realized at the time but i remember you know watching good old channel three and getting walter cronkite for our daily news yeah and and um i know there was i mean you know maybe maybe bobby kennedy jr is correct that the cia had something to do with well one interesting
1: uh, thing about the media is i mean just here in arizona for example i was going down memory lane with a friend uh channel 10 which i think was the cbs affiliate here they used to have um you know an emblem on their you know on their on their commercials um uh, blessed is the nation whose god is the lord uh which i believe is from proverbs if i'm not mistaken and the arizona republic had um had 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 a quote from from the bible too i think it was corinthians but I also think later it rotated in the upper right hand corner uh if I'm not mistaken it, it, there was just there was a different a different approach from the media in those days or at least a different sense of of you know what they believed those who worked under those banners at say c b s or the arizona republic
4: well I don't know um you know i i I left the episcopal church because of their radical left turn mm-hmm. um and and uh, and then the church that I go to now is uh, non-denominational, Bible-based. Yeah. But they jumped on the BLM bandwagon. Yeah. And and so I don't know that you know I I mean there's I a reason really people
1: are leaving the churches in the droves that they are. Uh, the statistic that blew me away that I read last week I shared in my monologue in the previous hour. I'll say it again. It goes to maybe we're a different country than we were in the 60s. More people have left the church in the last 25 years in America than all the people that joined one in the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and the Billy Graham Crusades combined. More people left in the last 25 years than joined during the Billy Graham Crusades, the First Great Awakening, and the Second Great Awakening combined. That's a big difference. There's that more blowing against the wind. Is it a metaphor? There's that blowing against the wind lyric. Now there, now Paul Simon's doing it. We identified earlier three different ways Bob Dylan used it, uh, from blowing in the wind, the song by the same name, to the um, to the song, uh, uh, the uh, the song I was quoting the lyrics from in the Wall Street Journal, uh, which is uh, blues, um, uh, uh, subterranean homesick blues. And then, of course, he talks about blowing um, the wind. A foundation keeps the wind from blowing it in um, Forever Young. This blowing in the wind thing is a big lyric. By the way, correction, young David, um, you should have corrected me on this. But blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord is indeed not found in Proverbs, but Psalms. And That'd that be one of the Beatitudes, and that was one of the, um, the what?
2: I said, would that be one of the Beatitudes? No, no,
1: no, no, no. That's the Sermon on the Mount.
2: Yeah, which was quoting
1: previously written. Was it? Yeah. Well, sure. I mean,
2: Jesus quoted the
1: Torah. Uh, yes, but not there. Yeah, no, well, <laughs> it's, it's not great. just a recitation, a wholesale recitation. The line on the top of the front page of the Arizona Republic. Was uh, Second Corinthians, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So I apologize for getting mixing up uh, Proverbs and Psalms. I like that. Jack Kemp once gave a speech quoting uh, something, and it said, and he and he cited Second Corinthians, and someone yelled out, "It's First Corinthians," and he yelled back, "Same author," yeah. <laughs> which you can't do with Psalms and Proverbs, not really. because Psalms
2: have multiple authors.
1: Well, I think King David for those traditionalists among us, and King Solomon did Proverbs for the traditionalists among us.
2: Yeah, I mean— For the the, the, traditionalists among us. I also did go to a Bible college.
1: (laughs) Okay, but (laughs) coming in a little lackluster with the third argument, finally. Vivek Ramaswamy, about whom I have a lot of things to say, some good— some not so. Um probably tilting a little more on the not so, but in any event he, he wrote something today that is fascinating and I wanted to run it by you. I mean you, you got to admit the guy some of some of the ideas are just awful, just awful ideas, but some of them are interesting. He I wonder what you think of this. Now that the Supreme Court finally ended affirmative action, colleges will only further deprioritize SAT scores in favor of subjective factors because of large racial disparities in test results. There's a simple way forward that will drive excellence and diversity of talent among incoming college classes. The college board should add a physical fitness section to the SAT, instead of just math and reading sections this could mirror the presidential fitness test consisting of a 1 mile run pull ups sit ups shuttle run etc etc regularly administered across american high schools until the obama white house disbanded it this is a pro merit solution that rewards diverse talents it's a fact that those who perform well on math and reading tests tend to perform more poorly on the 1 mile run and vice versa this would also help address a growing mental health crisis in our country. Physical fitness correlates directly with lower rates of depression, anxiety, and drug use. This is not formally part of my platform, but it's a serious proposal to address multiple cultural and health challenges with a single actionable step. Most solutions shouldn't come top-down from government. It's interesting the one thing he didn't mention I mean he may have been implying this when he said multiple cultural and health challenges, but he did go to mental health. He did say this would also help address the growing mental health crisis. It's interesting he didn't mention the thing I thought he was driving at, which was the obesity crisis, which is I think a highly underplayed and underdiscussed and under – I almost hate to say it, but underappreciated crisis in this country – what do you think of that, young David? A physical fitness part of the college board entrance exam. I,
2: I don't know that it would be constitutional at private uh, universities, perhaps at a publicly funded university, state universities. Well, the,
1: yeah, I mean, I I don't know that I don't I mean, the Constitution doesn't even have to touch the private at this point. But I, you know, it would be an interesting thing. I could see, I could see, uh, colleges. Even if the College Board didn't do it, I could see some colleges maybe asking for it, uh, or maybe accepting it on their own. I um, mean, I
2: guess it's. I mean, on one hand, we ha, we have a huge allow obesity. Huh? Colleges to have standards of athleticism with mm-hmm. athletes already. You have to have a certain standard of performance and training. Sure. In order to be eligible for an athletic scholarship, which also includes academics. Those are not forgotten with athletic scholarships. So on one hand, uh, many universities already do that. They don't recruit uh, lumps of lard to run on the track team. Right,
1: (laughs) right, right. No, I, I mean, I think it has an interesting element to it. And, of course, you know, also if you think about the disproportion that people are worried about by eliminating race-based preferences um and you think about physical fitness and athleticism it, th- there there could be some benefits there too to overcome some of those disparities um anyway look we're an unhealthy society mentally and physically um this this might be a good thing of course i'm i'm a little bit worried about playing around too much with any education reform these days but physical fitness seems like one, if we can get past this male-female locker room and male-female joining of fluid, fluid fluidity and joining, you know, athletic teams and athletic associations, if we could get beyond that, this is an interesting point, actually. Physical fitness is something that doesn't yield itself to political correctness. One could have said up to two years ago, you know, one could have said that up to two years ago. The one area free of political correctness was physical fitness. You know, with all the nonsense that takes place in our schools, P.E. or whatever they call it these days, physical, that would have been one of the few areas where, you know, that would be considered hard America. There is accountability. There is a winner. There is a loser. There is a second place. There is an eighth place. There is a challenge you have to meet. There is a challenge you have to overcome. But, you know, that's how strong progressive Marxist liberalism is. I should say progressive Marxist leftism. It even got to physical fitness. Anyway. I thought it was worth taking up. You can call me on that, too. Y-Refi is a great uh, sponsor of many shows on this station, including this one, and they've been getting a lot of calls from this audience, and they want me to convey their thanks for supporting an investment that actually helps people and helps also the investor. Um, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return with Y-Refi, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. If you're worried about market volatility, if you're worried about, you know, inflation, it just doesn't doesn't have anything to do with the stock market or the Fed. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it whatever you like. There are no fees in this secure collateralized portfolio, and there is no reduction or penalty if you ever need your money back at any time, and you'll get your monthly statement with no surprises. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888 YREFI 24. That's 888 YREFI 24. Or visit them in person. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101. No sales pitches. They leave that up to me. Now, young David, you, you had asked me to watch a video. Over the weekend. I haven't gotten to it just yet. That's all right. But on the tote board of who's watched recommended videos as Between Us, you're about five behind, if (laughs) I'm not mistaken. (laughs)
2: <laughs> but you oh, said
1: right. it might be illustrative of the question we were asking earlier. What was the video about? What do you want to commend it to the audience?
2: Uh, it was uh, Christopher Rufo, who I believe is a PBS contributor, and it was uh, pr- produced by him, and it was titled by Nick Is he with Forever. PBS?
1: I believe. He can't possibly moment. be anymore.
2: Oh, well, maybe. Yeah, maybe, if he was. Maybe no longer. Yeah, maybe I can't no imagine longer. anymore. Oh. Yeah. And it was just commenting on the eerie similarities, uh, just as uh, the Carl Rove's article was between now and 1968. Oh, really? And it was saying that it really, it really changed politics. And I think most Americans would agree it also changed our cultural identity. But it was really saying, where is our Nixon that's going to – and that's my question is really, if we're living in a repeat of 68, although I'm sort of convinced that we're in 79, 80. I know you are. But I mean, if we're living in a repeat of 1968, where is our president? President Nixon, In that that video actually keyed me to a couple of very interesting things. For example, uh, before uh, J. Edgar Hoover's death, Nixon worked with the FBI to infiltrate organizations like the Bel- the the Weather Underground and the Black Panthers, and almost completely dismantled them with J. Edgar Hoover's help before his passing. In addition to that, somebody like Nixon who on his re-election day in 1972 wrote in his personal journal, this is the last best hope America has to shrink the government hmm. on his uh. And, on then his he, and then he gave
1: us OSHA and the EPA and affirmative action. Um, but that was his '68 slogan, wasn't it? Bring us together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, young
2: David. Just interesting to think about. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'll watch it as soon as I can. Maybe tonight. Talk to you soon. We'll be right back.